0: welcome to the madcast you're listening to a podcast that strives to bring the church world and the art world closer together my name is Matt Anderson and I am so glad you can join us for this very special episode. Christmas Eve, 1946. Months ago, the United States and her allies defeated Germany and Japan to end the Second World War. Unfortunately, another intense conflict is brewing this night in Bedford Falls, New York. For one of its leading citizens, George Bailey is going to do the unthinkable. He's going to take his own life. George Bailey is probably like a lot of people in this podcast audience. He does the right thing, even when nobody is watching. He treats people with respect. He is loved by everyone except for one man, Henry Potter, the richest man in the county. Well, with such high regard by so many, what would lead him to a bridge on a snowy Christmas Eve night and decide to exit his life and spouse and their four children. This is the backdrop of my favorite film of all time, It's a Wonderful Life. It wasn't until I was 20 that I watched it for the first time. We had a a movie night in our college cafeteria one evening, and I found myself entranced by the story. And their performances. My mom must not have been a fan of the movie, or else we definitely would have watched it and watched it a lot. But I was taken on such a wonderful, emotional roller coaster ride on that first viewing that it would always hold a special place in my heart. In the story, we find that George is a young man with big plans. He wants to travel the world, and make a name for himself. Be somebody. We see it in boyhood as well as adulthood.
1: Made up your mind yet? I'll take chocolate. With coconuts? I don't like coconuts. You don't like coconuts? Say, Brainless, don't you know where coconuts come from? Look at here, from Tahiti, the Fiji Islands, the Coral Sea. I'm going out exploring someday, you watch. And I'm going to have a couple of harems and maybe three or four wives. Wait and see.
2: You know, George, I wish we could send Harry to college with you. Your mother and I talked it over half the night. Mm. We have that all figured out. See, Harry'll take my job in the building alone, work there for four years, and he'll go. I suppose you've decided what you want to do when you get out of college. Oh well, you know what I've always talked about: build things, design new buildings, plan modern cities. All that stuff I saw. Still after that first million before you did, yeah? No, I'll sell half that in cash. <laughs> you wouldn't consider coming back to the building alone, would you? I, I couldn't. I, uh, I couldn't face being cooped up for the rest of my life in a shabby little office. Mm. I want to do something big and something important. Now, there are plenty of jobs around somebody likes to travel. Look at this here Venezuela oil fields. Wanted, man with construction experience. Here's the Yukon. One, right here. Wanted. Man with engineering experience. There she blows. You know what the three most exciting sounds in the world are? Anchor chains, plane motors, and train whistles. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow, and the next day, and next year, and a year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know, and then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields, I'm going to build skyscrapers 100 stories high, I'm going to build bridges a mile long." That
0: probably describes a lot of us. If you're young, or you once were, you probably have or had big plans too. Maybe, maybe you're going to take the art world by storm, you're going to grab the world's attention to your music, you're going to make a name for yourself with your stories, your acting, or your speaking ability. But George also has this recurring habit of rescuing people. His first incident was when he was a boy and he saved his younger brother, Harry, after he fell through the ice one winter day and almost drowned. George would save his brother, but he would lose the hearing in one of his ears as a result. He does so again as a young man working for Mr. Gower, the town druggist. Unbeknownst to George that day Mr Gower had received a telegram alerting him that his son had been killed Mr Gower is drunk and incorrectly fills a prescription with poison that George is supposed to deliver George instantly realizes the mistake but doesn't know what to do so he doesn't deliver it In the midst he sees the telegram informing him of Mr. Gower's son. And he comes back to the store and an enraged, intoxicated Mr. Gower is angry with George for not delivering uh, the medicine and begins slapping him um, to the point where his ear bleeds. What?
1: Why, that medicine should have been there an hour ago. It'd be over in five minutes for the plan. Mr. Mr. voice of capsules? Did you hear you know what I said? Yes, sir, I... What kind of tricks did you break it away? Well, well, he went into the living room right away. Don't you know that boy's very quick? I hear my store, here. You lazy loaf. Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. I know you're B. You got the telegram and you're upset. You put something bad in those capsules. It wasn't your fault, Mr. Gower. <laughs> Just look and see what you did. Look at the bottle you took the bottle from. It's poison, I tell you, it's poison. I know you feel bad. Oh. <laughs> Don't hear my story again! Don't have my story again! Oh, no, no, no. Again. Oh, George! Gosh. Gosh. Oh, Mr. Gowell, I would never oh. tell anyone. I know you're oh. feeling. I would not tell, so hope to die, I won't.
0: For those who think wonderful life is a just a cheesy, schmaltzy movie, I think they need to watch it again because there's actually a lot of darkness in the story. Well, George saves and rescues Mr. Gower from unintentionally killing one of his customers. But this is only the beginning of George's rescuing ways. When he's ready to move on to college and then see the world, he ends up smitten by Mary Hatch one evening and gets reacquainted with her but that's also when George receives some devastating news. George, George!
2: George,
1: come on home, quick. Your father's had a stroke.
2: Mary, Mary, I'm sorry, I've got to go. Come on, George, let's hurry. You got a doctor? Yeah. Kendall's there now.
1: Before, George I know you're anxious to make a train. No,
2: I have a taxi waiting downstairs.
1: I want the board to know that George gave up his trip to Europe to help straighten things out here these past few months. Good luck to your school, George. Good George. Now we come to the real purpose of this meeting, to appoint a successor to our dear friend Peter Bailey. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to get to my real purpose. Wait just a minute now. Wait for what? I claim this institution is not necessary to this town. Therefore, Mr. Chairman, I make a motion to dissolve this institution and turn its assets and liabilities over to the receiver. You see, if you shoot pool with some employee here, you can come and borrow money. (laughs) What does that get us? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class.
2: Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about They do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. You're the, you're the board here. You do what you want with this thing. There's just one thing more, though. This town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can come without crawling the potter. Yeah, I'll be right down. Huh? Yeah, hey, you'll miss your train. You're weekly for school already. Go on. Know what's going on? In oh, never mind. Don't worry about that. They're putting us out of business. So what? I can get another job. I'm only 55. 56. Go on, go on. Hey, look, you gave up your boat trip. No, you don't want to miss college, too, do you?
1: George, George, they voted Potter down. But they they want, want to keep it going. Hooray! You did it, George, Goodbye. you did it. They got one condition, huh? only one condition. What's that? And that's the best part of it. They've appointed George here as
2: executive secretary to take his father's place. Oh, no, but Uncle Billy is... You can keep him on, that's all right. As secretary, you can hire anyone you like. Dr. Kamala, let's get this thing straight. I'm leaving, I'm leaving right now. I'm going to school. This is my last chance. Uncle Billy here, he's your man.
0: But George, they'll vote with Potter otherwise. So George sacrifices going to college in order to save the Bailey building and loan. He sends Harry to college instead, knowing that after four years, Harry will take over, and George can start realizing his own dreams. Well, four years go by, and upon Harry's arrival back home, he has a surprise for George and Uncle Billy.
2: There's the professor now, old Professor. Well, My dog's George X- Geographic Explorer All no Bayley, Bayley. No sled. Uncle no. Billy, I haven't changed a bit. Nobody ever changes here. Oh, you. Oh you know boy. that. I'm glad to see you. <laughs> Say, where's mother? She's home cooking the fatted calf. Come <laughs> on, let's go. Oh, wait, 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 wait a minute, George, Uncle Billy. I want you to meet Ruth. Hello. How do you do? Ruth Dakin. Ruth Dakin Bailey, if you don't mind. Oh, that's right. Well, I wired you I had a surprise. Here she is. Meet the wife. Oh, what do you do? <laughs> wife. Oh, How do you do? Congratulations. What am I doing? Congratulations. Oh, come on, then. How are you, you can't these think two? Why don't you tell somebody? Oh, oh, oh I. Can't well, Just what to you, huh? oh. you really marry
0: well, hey, me? What, what's a pretty girl like you
2: doing marrying this two-headed brother of mine? Well, I'll tell you, it's purely mercenary. My father offered him a job. Oh, he got you and the job!
1: Well, Harry's cup run is
2: over! Uh, George, about that job, Bruce spoke out of turn. I never said I'd take it. You've been holding the bag here for four years, and... Well, I won't let you down, George. I would like to... T- well, wait, wait a minute, I forgot the bags. I'll be right back.
0: So George, rather than insisting on getting what he wants, sacrifices for Harry and his new marriage. This is a big moment because it is when George realizes there is nowhere to go except Bedford Falls. There is no one to replace him. George is officially out of options. Have you been there? Maybe you had a family and... Never got around to creating your art. Maybe you tried and tried, but all you got was rejection. And then eventually your side hustle became your main hustle. Maybe you feel stuck at your own little personal building and loan. You told yourself you would give it X number of years, and they've come and gone. You feel like the job that allows you to pay your bills has now become golden handcuffs. But the stakes are just too high to try and do anything else. You now realize you probably won't be discovered by an agent. You probably won't have a bestseller. You probably won't have an exhibition of your artwork. You won't have really any kind of social media following. It's a bitter pill to swallow. That's how George felt that evening when he once again sees Mary, who is home from college herself. They end up having their first kiss and then they end up getting married. Well, sure enough, the day of the ceremony, just when George finally has an opportunity to leave Bedford Falls with Mary and to go on their honeymoon, you guessed it, life happens again. Don't look now,
2: but there's something funny going on over there at the bank, George. Mm -hmm. I've never really seen one, but that's got all the earmarks of being a run. Hey, if you got any money in the bank? You better hurry. George, let's not stop. Let's go. A minute there. Uh-oh. Please, let's not stop, George. I'll be back in a minute, Mary. Why didn't you call? Them? I just did, but they said you left. This is a pickle, George. This is a pickle. All right. Now what happened? How did it start? Well, how does a thing like this ever start? All I know is the bank called our loan. When? About an hour ago. I handled all, all our cash. All of it. Every cent of it, and still was less than we owed Holy mackerel! George,
1: it's Potter. I may lose a fortune, but I am willing to guarantee your people too. Just tell them to bring their shares over here, and I will pay fifty cents on the dollar.
2: Boy, you never miss a trick, do you, Potter? or you're gonna miss this one. If you close your doors before 6 p.m., you will never reopen.
0: George realizes his customers will all be headed to the building and loan as well to pull out their money and in effect dissolve the organization. And George decides he cannot let it happen. I
2: have some news for you folks. I was just talking to old man Potter and he's guaranteed cash payments to the bank. The bank's gonna reopen next week. But George, I got my money here. Did he guarantee this place? Well, no, Charlie, I didn't even ask him. We don't need Potter over here. But I'll take mine now. No, but you're, you're... You're thinking of this place all wrong, as if I had the money back in a safe. The, the money's not here. Well, your money's in Joe's house. That's right next to yours. And in the Kennedy house, and Mrs. Maitland's house, and a hundred others. Now, you're lending them the money to build, and then they're going to pay it back to you as best they can. Now, what are you going to do, foreclose on them? Now, listen to me. I, I beg of you not to do this thing. If Potter gets a hold of this building and alone, there'll never be another decent house built in this town. He's already got charge of the bank, he's got the bus line, he's got the department stores, and now he's after us. Why? Well, it's very simple because we're cutting in on his business, that's why. And because he wants to keep you living in his slums and paying the kind of rent he decides. But my husband hasn't worked in over a year, and I need money. How am I going to live until the bank opens?
1: I got Dr. Deuce to pay. I need cash. I can't I keep
2: kids on faith. I got to have... How much do you need? Hey! I got two thousand dollars. Here's two thousand dollars. This will tide us over to the bank reopen. Okay. All right, all right Ed. Well, I got three hundred dollars here, George. All right, now Ed. what'll it take until the bank opens? What What do you need? Well, right. I suppose. $20? Twenty dollars? Twenty dollars. Now you're talking. Right. Thanks, Ed. That's fine. All right now, Miss Thompson. How much do you want? But it's your own money, now, George. You don't mind about that. How much do you want well, now? I can get along with twenty all right. Twenty dollars, fine. And I'll sign yeah, the yeah. paper. You don't have to sign anything. I know you. You pay when you can. That's okay. Seven. We're gonna make it, George. Six. six it'll never close us up today. Five, four, three, two, one, bingo! <laughs> we made it.
0: Once again, George rescues the building in loan and as you'll see later, the entire city. As he and Mary have children, the building and loan actually becomes an affordable alternative for housing for people in town, as opposed to living in Mr. Potter's slums. In fact, the homes that are built for these families are nicer than even the one he's living in. The old house occupied by the Bailey family is old, drafty, with many things falling apart. Meanwhile, the building and loan that keeps him imprisoned builds nicer homes for others. His childhood friends, most notably Sam Wainwright, become successful and wealthy. Not so much for George. But his housing development is getting the attention of Mr. Potter. And he is about to make an offer George cannot refuse. And he does it by summing up George's condition a little too well.
2: Thank you, sir. Quite a cigar,
1: Mr. Porter. You like it? I'll send you a box. You know just as well as I do that I run practically everything in this town, but the Bailey building alone. You know also that for a number of years I've been trying to get control of it, or kill it, but I haven't been able to do it. You have been stopping me. In fact, you have beaten me, George. George. And as anyone in this county can tell you, that takes some doing. Now, I have stated my side very frankly. Now let's look at your side. <laughs> Young man, 27, 28, married, making, say, 40 a week. 45. 45. Oh, 45. 45. Out of which, after supporting your mother and paying your bills, you're able to keep, say, 10 if you skip child of two comes along and you won't even be able to save the 10. Now, if this young man of 28 was a common, ordinary yokel, I'd say he was doing fine. But George Bailey is not a common, ordinary yokel. He is an intelligent, smart, ambitious young man who hates his job, who hates the building and loan almost as much as I do. A young man who's been dying to get out on his own ever since he was born. A young man, the smartest one in the crowd, mind you. A young man who has to sit by and watch his friends go places because he's trapped. Yes, sir. Trapped into frittering his life away, playing nursemaid to a lot of garlic eaters. Do I paint a great picture or do I exaggerate?
0: Isn't it interesting how our enemy seems to have things explained perfectly for us? So I just want to say to all of my creative friends out there that maybe you feel like George Bailey, you've got to be careful about giving your spiritual enemy any attention because he will take advantage of our weak moment and he will give us a narrative that will utterly make sense in our head, even if it's depressing. He wants to be a demonic advisor. He wants to whisper in your ear with the desperate hope that you will just agree with him. And you know what, he'll probably nail it, at least as you would see it. And just when he has our attention, he presents us with a deal.
2: What's your point, Mr. Potter? The point? The point is I want
1: to hire you. Hire? I want you to manage my affairs, run my properties. George, I'll start you out at $20,000 a year. $20,000 a year? You wouldn't mind living in the nicest house in town, buying your wife a lot of fine clothes, a couple of business trips to New York a year, maybe once in a while Europe. You wouldn't mind that, would you, George? Would
0: I? I'll only put it this way. He wants you to sell out on your passion and desire. We have no promises of success as an artist, but if we are really called to do this, the act of doing it is its own reward. The enemy wants you to stop. He can't create. You are doing something he cannot do, but he's telling you that you're wasting your time, that no one is interested, nobody cares, and he has something better for you to pursue. He will promise you the moon, which, by the way, George promised to lasso for Mary once, He will lure you with second-rate sideshows in an effort to divert your eyes from what Jesus has placed in your heart. Just realize that no matter how big your audience is, you are doing damage to the enemy's kingdom, and he wants it to stop. In creating, you are doing an act that he cannot perform, and it frustrates and angers him. So he's going to go with the honey over vinegar approach in order to just get you to compromise? Because he's got a nice package of stuff right over here. Just put down your camera. Let, let somebody else direct. Uh, put, put down your sculpting knife. Why keep struggling? He's asking. This shouldn't be so hard. I seem to remember a similar conversation between Satan and the Lord when the devil offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, if he would just bow down to him. He wouldn't have to go through Calvary. He wouldn't have to take upon himself the pain and the sin of all humanity, let alone the pain and trial of just dealing with the Pharisees and later being denied and even betrayed by one of his apostles. All of it. He just wanted Jesus off the mission. And then once he was off the mission, pull the rug out from under him. This is ultimately his plan to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants you to equate dollars with God's anointing on your life. Don't let him do it. Turn him down harshly like George did.
2: Oh, no, no, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. I don't need 24 hours. I I don't have to talk to anybody. I know right now. And the answer is no, no. Doggone it. You sit around here and you spin your little webs and you think the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, it doesn't, Mr. Potter. In the, in the whole vast configuration of things, I'd say you were nothing but a scurvy little spider. You, you.
0: Well, people around George continue to prosper. His brother Harry wins the Medal of Honor and is scheduled to come back to Bedford Falls on Christmas Eve for a big shindig. And many of George's customers have successful businesses because of the actions of the building and loan, but not George. He seems to keep getting the short end of the stick. But he learns to appreciate what he has. So it is on this Christmas Eve that his Uncle Billy, in the act of making the weekly deposit for the building and loan, accidentally leaves it in Mr. Potter's lap, and he can't remember where he put it. Well, this puts George in a desperate situation as they look high and low all over the city to find the $8,000 that was misplaced. And George knows that this is desperate because the bank examiner is there to go through their books, and he knows this is going to end up in scandal if they're not able to find it, but they can't. And so George is desperate, and rather than telling his family, he he just has an outburst when he gets home that scares them, including berating one of his kids' teachers on the phone and just stomps into the night. And he goes to the only person in town with $8,000. Henry Potter.
1: Why do you come to me? Why don't you go to Sam Wainwright and ask him for the money?
2: I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe.
1: What about all your other friends?
2: They don't have that kind of money, Mr. Potter. You know that. You're the only one in town that can help me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh, I've suddenly become quite important. (laughs) What kind of security would I have, George? You got any stocks?
2: Bonds? Real estate? Collateral of any kind? I have some life insurance. Fifteen thousand dollar policy. Yes, uh, how much is your equity in it? Five hundred dollars. Five hundred dollars? And you asked
1: me to lend you eight thousand. Look at you. You used to be so cocky. You were going to go out and conquer the world. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you with a warped, frustrated young man? Miserable little clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little $500 equity and a life insurance policy. (laughs) You're worth more dead than alive. Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so much and ask them to let you have $8,000?
0: You see, when the enemy has the advantage, he will go from sweet talker to accuser. He will tell you the worst things about God and you. He wants you to jump to a horrible conclusion. He wants you to believe you're worth more dead than alive. Well, Potter refuses him and calls the authorities on George. George, of course, leaves quickly and temporarily finds refuge at Martini's bar, who is one of his customers. And in that moment, Privately, just sitting at the bar, he reaches out to God for help.
2: Dear Father in heaven,
0: I'm not a praying man, but
2: if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. I...
0: George, I
1: want somebody to take you home? Huh? Why you drink so much, my friend. Please go home, Mr. Bailey. This is Christmas Eve. Bailey? Which Bailey? This Mr. George Bailey. The next time you talk to my wife like that, you'll get worse. She cried for an hour. It isn't enough. She's slave teaching you stupid kids how to read and write. and You have to ball her out. Eh? Get out of here,
2: Mr. Welsh. I oh, waited. I want to pay for my I drink.
0: Never mind,
2: nobody. You get
1: out of here. quick! All right. you're his best friend. Get out. You all right, George? George, who's that? He's gone. No worry. His name is Welsh. He don't come into my place no more.
2: Oh Welsh.
0: that's what I get for praying a now-bloodied George with nowhere left to go runs out to the bridge outside of town in an effort to end his life. Now it is George who needs rescuing, and it seems there is no one to help. Until there is divine intervention, a man seemingly out of nowhere throws himself into the river before George can, and like clockwork, George jumps in to save him, the rescuer rescues again. Well, this man who jumped in first turns out to be George's guardian angel, Clarence Oddbody. He saves George's life, but George is still inconsolable. Nothing has changed in his life except that his clothes are all wet now. And it is out of this disenchantment that George makes a haunting request.
1: Yeah, so you still think killing yourself would make
2: everyone feel happier, right?
0: Oh, I don't know. I
2: guess you're right. I suppose it'd been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born.
0: Now keep in mind, George didn't say he wished he was dead. This is more than that. He has so convinced himself that the world will be better without him that he thinks he should not have existed at all. And now he will see the results. Sure enough, his mouth immediately stops bleeding, his clothes are perfectly dry, and all seems well, until he realizes that Bedford Falls is no longer Bedford Falls. The town is named Pottersville, and the entire city is owned by Potter and has attracted the lowest possible elements of human behavior. No one he recognizes knows who he is, including his friends and even his mother. Before long he begins to see what the world would have been like without him.
2: Are you sure this is Bailey Park? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I know is this should be Bailey Park. But where are the houses? We went here to build them.
1: Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through
2: the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. You
1: see, George, You really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away?
0: I think what I love so much about this movie is that it forces the viewer to ask the same question. What would the world be like if you had not been born? And it also forces us to realize that we have made a difference in many lives, regardless of how known we or our art is. Regardless if we're a blue check on Twitter or whether we are making a living at our craft, that's not what life and success are all about. Like everything in the kingdom, it's about people. People who are better because we obeyed the Lord. Will you allow the Lord to remind you of who those people are in your life? Well, the capper to George's quest here is realizing that even Mary doesn't know who he is and she screams as an effort to get herself away from him. He ends up getting into a scrape with the police and he runs for his life back to the bridge where he prays one more time. Clarence,
2: Clarence, help me Clarence, get me back. Get me back, I don't care what happens to me. Get me back to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me
0: live again. And sure enough, everything comes back to normal. George's mouth is bleeding again. The snow is falling, and... He's still in a mess, but he doesn't care. He races back home and anxiously kisses his wife and children. Of course, the authorities are also there to arrest him. That's when George receives the blessing of his life. As Mary tells everyone that George is in trouble, she doesn't know the specifics, but they all instantly respond, and he now sees what he has meant to so many. He never got to see the world, but he made the world a better place. Upon his brother Harry's appearance into the house, he ends up toasting his brother with one of the best lines in movie history.
2: Harry, how (laughs) about your management in New York? Oh, I left right in the middle of it. As soon as I got Mary's telegram. Good idea, Ernie. A toast to my big brother, George, the richest
0: man in town. (laughs) Harry nailed it. George was by far the richest man in town. He invested in people more than anything else. Yep, it's a risky investment, but it pays off far more often than not. I guess I would rather have it that way, too. Fame is overrated, and wealth is complicated, unless the Lord believes we can handle that. Maybe our best creating is creating moments of meaningfulness and love with people who matter. I know we think we can make the world a better place by our paintings or our stories or our movement, and that certainly might be true, but very few have that kind of opportunity. But maybe just maybe we can make our world a better place by telling and showing the people who matter that we love them. Let's be rich in spirit and love for the people God gave us. Let's meaningfully speak life, embrace, spend time with, give gifts to, and perform service for those who are gifts of God to us. 2020 has been a brutal year, and I personally take delight in the fact that I'm still alive, (laughs) I'd be thrilled to be in heaven, but I'm still alive and not off the rails emotionally. There's something about things being stripped away from us, as this year has done, that remind us of the fact that if Jesus is your life, not just in your life, but if Jesus is your life, you have a wonderful life. I know there are challenges physically, mentally, spiritually, socially, and financially. But let's allow the Lord to remind us that life is bigger than what we see here. And that with Him, we really have a wonderful life. Well, I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas, and we appreciate you being a part of the Matt Cast. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. We hope to see you again soon. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. For more information about our books and resources, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time.